Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads. Hey, it's Anna. This episode is about inheritance, which means we talk about families and deaths in families, including, I want to let you know, a story about suicide. I think you can sum it up to say my family's Achilles heel was money and the desire for money and the need for money and the belief that the one who held the money held the power. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. And I came home for the funeral and my mom said, sit down, we have a surprise for you. I was about to inherit $25,000. We've been collecting your stories about inheritance. I inherited about $250,000, which I used to help buy a business that I own now. About $10,000 from my mom a couple years back. Maybe $150,000? Between $150,000 and $200,000, somewhere around there. You told us about the big stuff. An incredible inheritance, including a house in France. And the small stuff. I did get a shoehorn that I still use today. And how it feels like an entirely unique category of money. I feel like I haven't done anything to earn this. Shame that I've somehow cheated my way onto the home ownership ladder. Because it's attached to death. It's attached to the deaths of people I care very deeply about. She had went most of her life talking about, oh, how I'm going to change my will and all this. I'm like, girl, who's studying your will? Maybe you've heard of the phrase, the great economic wealth transfer. It's this idea that as the relatively well-off boomer generation comes to the end of their lives, they'll be leaving behind vast amounts of money. Some economists predict that over the next 20 years, $84 trillion will be passed down. And of course, most of that money will be concentrated among already wealthy families. That's in the U.S. But there's also some big money transfers happening other places. My granddad is a multi-millionaire property developer from New Zealand. And I know that my future, when he passes away, will be beyond secure. No need for a job type secure. And for those of you without family wealth, you told us about the sting of not being able to count on an inheritance when friends and peers around you can. It's been really alienating to go through my adult life and to have so many friends who have financial security in their future because they're going to get a, you know, pretty sizable inheritance. It just makes my life really different from theirs. And even within families, who gets what can shake out unevenly when the person writing the will favors certain family members over others. My mother has just decided that I should be her executor, and she has cut my sister out of her will because of the behavior of 
my sister's children. Gwen is 51 years old. I love that you can hear crickets in her voice memo. She sent it to us from her home in southwest Virginia, where she and her husband own and operate a flower farm. Last March, she drove the eight hours to visit her mother at her home. And she asked me to be listed on her bank account, which didn't strike me as anything big. Sure, whatever you need to do to make all the paperwork go smoothly, fine. Then, little by little, it came out that I was to become her new executor and she would take the eldest daughter off the role of being executor and completely out of the will. Gwen's mother said that Gwen's sister's kids had been excluding her from family events like birthday parties, and she felt snubbed. But Gwen says it's her sister who has been on call for her mother's doctor's appointments and errands since she only lives 15 minutes away. It was frustrating that my mother didn't see all that my sister had done for her. And it was frustrating to think that as my mother ages, the woman that is closest to her in proximity and could help her through any health emergency has now been cut out. So here I am eight hours away wondering, couldn't you just have sucked it up a little bit longer? But she felt like it was her last card to play and it was her last power move and she took it. How old is your mom right now? 88. Wow. How's her health? Her health is shaky in that on a day-to-day basis, she has arthritis pains and allergies and poor circulation. And she just, I think she just feels crummy. And maybe because she feels crummy on a day-to-day basis, she lashes out. She... She is a prickly woman. So I see the side of my niece and my nephew that she's not a warm and fuzzy grandma and she's somewhat hard to spend time with. So yeah, maybe their child's third birthday party would be a little bit more pleasant without my prickly mom there. But again, couldn't you just have <laughs> couldn't you just have taken the hit for an hour an hour and invited her anyway? How much money is at stake here? That's a great question, and I have no idea. I think I mean I'm only expecting it to be the amount of the sale of her condo. And hopefully there's no money left because <laughs> She's had the world's best care, and she's had in-home nursing, and she's replaced the carpet. And I I don't know. I hope she spends it all because I don't want Uh want to deal with it. Uh Uh-huh. Let's, like, think about that. Like, when your mom is gone and she's told you what her wishes are, what are you going to do? Yeah. Do Do you respect your mother's wishes and say... I love you, but this is what she wanted. I don't know. Do you imagine, have you pictured, like, sharing the money with your eldest sister who's cut out of the will? My husband and I discussed it, and we, I think we both feel very comfortable with taking our share and 
reallocating that. Have you and your sister talked about this? Yes, and I called her on my drive home, and I told my mother I was not going to be the one to break the news. And she said, oh, of course, I'll tell her, I'll tell her. So I called her, and I said, I can't talk about this right now, but I just had the hardest weekend with Mom I've ever had, and I want you to know that you and I are in this together no matter what happens. My inheritance story is that I grew up with family money and my father, who is worth about $70 million, told me that if I spoke publicly about my childhood, then he would disinherit me. And I decided to do it anyway. And... um The money in the will was always used as like a control tactic. And I, you know, who knows if I would have even gotten any ultimately, but I effectively disinherited myself. But it's actually been a very liberating thing for me to not be under that control anymore. Um, I guess the way that it's affected my relationships is that my brother might receive an inheritance, and I'm not sure how that will uh, end up affecting everybody. But as of now, I feel at peace with my decision and like I'm in control of my life for the first time. So that's a good thing for me. We heard from more than one of you who passed on an inheritance. Taking it, you said, would be like condoning things you endured. So... When I got a notice that he had died and had left me a portion of his estate, I refused it because I did not want his money. I wanted an apology. But sometimes, you told us, inheritance felt like a proper payment. I actually look at this inheritance as a fee for having to just deal with her psychological and toxic abuse and behavior my entire adult life. After someone dies, the facts of an inheritance are both really clear-cut, this amount of money goes to this person, and it can leave you with lots of questions. I think the mystery for me was, you know, how, how long was the planning of this was it a spur of the moment decision? Trevor Keen's father died by suicide nearly 10 years ago when Trevor was 21. Trevor's father was a veteran, and after his death, Trevor and his four brothers learned that their father had recently started going to a therapist provided by the VA. That, Trevor said, allowed his father's death to be classified as service related meaning part of what he was leaving behind could be bolstered by government benefits for veterans. My three younger brothers all got a decent chunk of assistance to college because his death was classified service-related. Immediately after his father's death, Trevor felt angry and wondered if securing those benefits meant that his dad had been planning his suicide for months. We all put in effort, and we all tried to reach out, and I think that Even even having the suspicion that he might have been been planning this uh, 
It pissed me off. Now Trevor is 31. He lives in Manhattan, Kansas with his wife and 16-month-old son. He and his wife work as mail carriers for the post office. Back when his dad died, Trevor and his brothers each received around $50,000. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, I probably could have uh, spent it a little better. But uh, I didn't do the stupidest thing. I paid off student loans and I bought a car, cash, a $10,000 Nissan Pathfinder that I'm still driving today. Hmm. And paid off some of my fiancés at the time, student loans, because she had a lot more student loans with higher interest than than I did. And my one stupid purchase was I bought a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if stupid is the right word. <laughs> well, enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I look back at it and I'm like, yeah, my dad probably would have been proud of me for buying a motorcycle, but he also would have been like, you should have put some of that money into a long-term savings account. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. And, like, when you... Do you think about your dad when you drive your car? That's a good question. And I think that, in a way, for for a long time, I avoided making that connection because I was angry and I didn't want to think about that part of it. But yeah, here here recently, especially taking more more time to dive into it and, and think about it, just preparing to to talk here, I, I I started to make connections that you know I haven't maybe I'd been avoiding. Like what? Yeah, that like uh, this this money that I was given because my dad decided to take his own life. It's it's helped me in a lot of ways. And in a lot of ways, I wouldn't be where I am without it. And a part of that I'm, I'm grateful for. And like a part of that, it's, it's hard not to like resent or question what uh, would I be in a better place with the money or would I be a better place if my, if my dad was still around? Yeah. And I, th- I think that's impossible to answer. Trevor's mom first got pregnant when she was 17. His dad was 18 and they needed money. He enlisted and stayed in the military for 10 years and later started struggling with alcoholism. The day Trevor's father took his own life was a day before his rent was due. So Trevor, his mom, and his four brothers went to their dad's apartment to clean it out so they wouldn't be charged an extra month. The amount of empty alcohol containers and whiskey bottles and pizza delivery boxes, you know, there's... He hadn't left that apartment except to get booze and pizza in weeks. Mm-hmm. And I think he was lonely. I think he was depressed. Yeah, suffering. I think he, think he was suffering and felt disconnected. And I can't blame anybody for wanting out of that situation. Even though it hurts. Is there something you have of your dad's that was a belonging of his that you're glad you inherited, that you have? 
Uh, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I think it's like a 60 year old buckskin knife that his, uh, his uncle owned and gave to him when he died. Hmm. And then I have, uh, my dad was uh, a bit of a rocker in the 80s, uh-huh. and I have a uh, pretty rad leather belt with spikes and studs all over it. That's cool. That he was always embarrassed of, but I thought was so cool as a kid. Did he have a band? Uh, no, he didn't have a band uh, as much as he wanted to. <laughs> he, uh he he always pushed I have four brothers. He always pushed us really hard to try and make a band cuz he wanted us to feel the rock. He appreciated the aesthetic. He dressed like a yeah. rocker. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he literally bought like a bass and a drum set and a guitar and amps and like put them in the basement and we're like please play. Please play. <laughs> please be a rock band. And it didn't take. Yeah. Buckskin knife. Did you hunt with your dad growing up? Yeah, we went. I remember going hunting uh, several times with him. Uh, we weren't very successful hunters, mm-hmm. and I always joked with him as because he was always smoking cigarettes, and uh, doesn't matter how much uh, nonsense soap or whatever you put on <laughs> if you're smoking cigarettes in the tree stand, the deer aren't going to come around. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I was always trying to get him to stop smoking. So why did why did you want the knife? When you look at it, what do you what do you think about? Uh, I think I think the impulse to, to grab that was just remembering. You know, we it, me and him drove out to California after uh, his uncle Bill died. My great uncle Bill. And he left my dad a Cadillac because he and my dad were really close. And I, I remember picking up the the buckskin knife and helping pack it in the back of the Cadillac. And, you know, that was one of the really only like one-on-one road trips I had with my dad. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were the only brother. It got to be just you and him. Yeah. We didn't get a lot of those moments having four brothers. Yeah, that makes sense why you... That knife, what that knife represents. Time together. Mm-hmm. Did you listen to a lot of rock and roll on that road trip? Yeah. But funnily, funny en- enough, the song that I remember the most from that road trip is Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> 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 because it was so big on the radio. The one about driving so many miles? Uh, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Just it was it was huge on the radio and it was on every station. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, you know, Metall- Metallica, Pantera, Megadeth, Vanessa Carlton. <laughs> Do you think um, your child is a son, right? Yeah. I don't. This is like a a very big question. So if it doesn't mm-hmm. resonate, just tell me. But. I'm just struck that, like, you know, you lost your dad almost 10 years ago. You've you've been a dad now yourself um, almost a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have you have you thought about like 
what is it I want to do as a father that I leave to this kid? Yeah, I mean, that is, that is a big question. And I've thought about it in, in so many different ways. Um, and I've definitely thought about it in the ways that I think a lot of sons and and daughters do about their dads and going, you know, what kind of what kind of parent do I want to be? What do I want to do different? And, you know, I towards the end of my dad's life, we didn't have the best relationship, but you know, obviously talking about that road trip and and going hunting and and other times there were there were good times too. And I would just want, I would want that to be the majority. And it, it makes me, it makes me feel a little guilty even saying that. Hmm. Just because I know my life has been a lot easier than his. Hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you know where so he I, served? Uh, yeah, he was in a desert storm uh-huh. in Afghanistan with the tank battalion. Uh huh. I interrupted you. I think you were going to say one more thing. Yeah, I I think I was just going to say you know when. Uh. You know, when you asked that, do I, do I think about, you know, what I'm going to leave to my son? I think my, my dad left me more of an ability, you know, to be there, to be available, to not be in a position to struggle as much. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I don't think I really had either. <laughs> yeah. The ability to pay off debt, the ability to have a vehicle that's reliable for 10 years from your early 20s into your early 30s when you're getting set up. Like, inheriting some a measure of stability that's really powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. If you or a loved one is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call or text the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. The number is 988. Coming up, why some young people are giving away their inherited wealth. Hoarding money means the money can't live in the world and do stuff. And money is meant to go out into the world and do stuff and make people happy and get us the things we need. Hey, I have a quick but urgent assignment for you. As we've told you, Death, Sex, and Money's current arrangement with WNYC is coming to an end at the end of 2023. 
I want to make sure we can keep in touch after this. So please go to the link in the show notes to sign up for a weekly newsletter from me. You can expect something similar to what I've always done in the Death, Sex, and Money newsletter. Essays, recommendations for reading and listening, what I'm hearing from other readers and listeners. But also, there'll be any breaking news about the future of the show when we have it. Whether or not you've been a Death, Sex, and Money newsletter subscriber in the past, I need you to sign up now so we can be sure to not lose touch in the shuffle. Again, just click on the Anna's newsletter link in the show notes. We'll also be able to keep tracking each other on social media. Remember, I'm at Anna Sale Picks, that's P-I-C-S, on Instagram. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money. This week, we're sharing images of things that represent inheritance that we've received from some of the listeners you're hearing in this episode. It is really moving to see these material objects and also to be reminded of how things can outlast us. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. For some of us, inheritance shows up in other places than account balances. When I was 14, my mother suddenly passed away on a ski trip in Vermont, and she was well-known for her shocking white hair. And I only mention this because when I think of inheritance, I think of like things that were given to you as a gift to promote your future. And um, when I was 15, so exactly one year after she passed away, um, my eyebrow turned white. Like the hair in my eyebrow turned white and that has attracted so many different people to me. It's a conversation starter. It's a, it's a way for people to kind of break the ice with me, um, especially with, with women and romantic partners. But in its purest form, inheritance is all about money. I inherited about $400,000 when I was 30 years old. I inherited about $1.5 million when it's all said and done. I feel like the pressure that comes with upwards of $50 million is sometimes really scary. I'm afraid of being like those lotto winners who end up uh, just whiling it away. And if you receive an inheritance, chances are you won't have to pay taxes on it, at least in the U.S., where the estate tax doesn't kick in on wealth until it's more than about $13 million. It baffles me that we live in a society where that amount of accumulation is is possible. This is Ergian Joshi. He's 27 and lives in Boston. He's a graduate student and activist. And a few years ago, his grandmother died and left his father with a lot of money. Ergian had no idea how much his grandmother was worth. So he and some younger family members looked around for clues. At some point, we're 
sort of like sluicing around and Googling our grandmother's name and trying to figure out like how much we had inherited uh-huh. or like they had, our parents had inherited. Ergian moved to the United States when he was 19. He grew up in New Delhi in an upper caste family, but he said his family was relatively cash poor compared to his friends at his fancy private school. That changed after the inheritance. Prior to that inheritance, we would travel once a year um, internationally, right? And we would fly coach and live in a in a simple Airbnb. And then suddenly we started flying business class and staying at nicer Airbnbs, you know? And uh-huh. so, but it, the conversations about it had a delayed reaction. We didn't actually talk about it um, until several months later. What prompted that conversation within the family? Just noticing this difference and uh, that I was going through this period of trying to understand my place in social justice work and what role I could play in the movements that I'm drawn to. And it was really messing with how I was able to show up in those spaces. Ergian was already active as a member of a nonprofit called Resource Generation at the time he learned about his father's inheritance. It's a group that organizes young, wealthy people to redistribute their wealth and inheritance to social causes. Eventually, Ergian's father told him the size of the inheritance. Ergian says he considers the sum more money than anyone should ever have, though he didn't want to tell us the exact number. Right now, he gets a small allowance from his family for living expenses. He also works as a teaching assistant at his university and gives that money away to causes he deems important. Um, I redistribute all of that. So that and that comes up to about $12,000 a year. Do you have a sense at this moment, and I realize this is hypothetical, but should you inherit the corpus, the, 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 a large share of, of the money that your dad currently holds, that your father currently holds. Do you have an idea of like a, the percentage that you would like to give away? I would like to think that if that happens, I, I want to be in a place where I would feel comfortable giving away all of it. Huh. Um. Can I ask you a question about that? Because mm-hmm. I'm imagining... There could be someone listening who has worked really hard to create some, you know, account of money that they are very proud that they get to pass on to their children or their grandchildren upon their death. That for them, that is an expression of love and care. Um, and, And I wonder if, is inheritance also a, an expression of love? I appreciate that question. And yeah, it's curious. I can't speak to that experience so much, but I can imagine it. I guess the question that that brings up for me is, is like, is my love limited to my offspring? Mm. Right? What, like, what does it look like to love more? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to, love, to, to love the world? I had been a single mother raising two boys, often working three jobs, 
and always was worried about the future. And now I'm living a life that I just never could have imagined. I'm not rich, but I'm going to make it okay. A well-timed inheritance can change someone's life, or in some cases you told us about, save it. I was in an abusive relationship with my first husband, and a family member left me enough money to change my circumstances because the first husband was basically snorting all of our resources up his nose. I received $20,000, and this could not have been better timed because in May, I was diagnosed with skin cancer. And I had to use almost half of the inheritance to cover my medical bills. So this is where I get to tell you about my great-grandmother on my um, mother's side. She's a real badass. Nora Lachese is 31 years old and also a member of Resource Generation. She didn't grow up super wealthy. Her parents worked in journalism and in the nonprofit sector. But she always knew there was this pot of money that was going to be passed down to her. It was from her great-grandmother, an attorney who'd built wealth in the stock market. She'd passed it to her daughters and, along with it, lore about what that money could do. We really talked about it as, like, the feminist safety net um, that wouldn't be touched for anything but an emergency. Like, something that could, like, pay off medical debt or get somebody out of a bad marriage Um, And when my grandmother passed last year, um, my mom, my aunt, my brother, and I inherited. Um, And I inherited about $240,000. And I made a plan with my partner, and we came to the decision together um, that we would start by giving away half of it to peers, elders, mentors, people who just either had a a big thing coming up where they could really use it and the money could live in the world. Nora and her partner have been together for about seven years. Her partner's parents are a librarian and a teacher, and there's less money in her family than in Nora's. And Nora's noticed her partner seems less attached to money. She uses money in a way that she's like, if I've got it and I love you, it's ours. Um, And I think that's in part because of the class and environment that she was raised in, and um, and just, like, her spirit. And that is, like, deeply inspiring to me and also pushes me sometimes, makes me stress sometimes. I'm like, whoa, whoa, I, we need to keep some of this. Are you planning to have kids? We are. Yeah. How did that enter the conversation about what is enough? Knowing that the dominant idea is that kids, and the truth, is that kids are very expensive. I mean, we're not trying to lie to ourselves about that. (laughs) Um, The expense that stands in for all of their expenses is paying for college. Um, And with how much the price of education has gone up, with how deeply unsustainable asking students to take on debt at 18 years old is, um, we... And I realize this is going to sound really naive to a lot of people listening, but I'm going to say it anyway because I do believe it. We want to be part of social movements that are so powerful that we are not in that system in 20-some-odd years. Mm -hmm. And that's a bet that we're making. So you've given about $120,000 to individuals in your life over the last year? 
Um, yeah, like a hundred ten. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Did you do it via Venmo check? What was the way most that you transferred the money? Uh-huh. Um, mostly ACH transfer or wire transfer. Why? Uh, Venmo will only let you move at like $3,500 a week. And for the people in your life that you have given money to, mm-hmm. did anyone ask you or did, did you always offer first? No, I always offered, for, we always offered first. Um, and honestly, those conversations have been some of the most profound conversations, not always easy. I, Research Generation has an interpersonal giving guide just about like the principles of sharing money interpersonally. And so there's even a little script and it's like, hello, my friend. <laughs> I would like, I've been thinking about this big money thing. I want to set up a special time to have a conversation about it. Um, once we're in the conversation, my friend, I have inherited this money. It is more than I need. I've been thinking about sharing it. I want to share $25,000 with you. Once this money hits hits your account, it is totally yours. And uh, it is a gift. I do not expect this to change, um, or I'm not expecting anything in return, including intimacy or time with you. And you can think about it. If you decide yes, I'll transfer it to you in two payments on the dates that we decide on. Um, And then we can talk about it as much or as little as you want. This is also as much as I can give. I cannot give more in the future. And so I've had a couple of those conversations and they've really rocked my world. Did anybody that you offered to share money with decline it? Not yet. Did anyone that you offered to share money with uh, initially respond with embarrassment? I should ask if embarrassment, certainly overwhelm. Uh huh. Intensity. Very intense thing to do. <laughs> what do you mean by uh, that? Like, how could you tell? What did it uh, feel? Oh, yeah. A lot of these conversations, we both cried, both at the love present in our relationship and at the sometimes at the deep unfairness of like, it is wild that I'm in a position to do this and you're not. And like, that's unfair. And, and were you like, when you were making these individual, these contributions to individuals, was it mostly to like help them buy something, like achieve a financial goal? Or sometimes was it like, I see you, I see you need an extra thousand dollars a month. So I'm just going to help you have more comfort. It was both. I'm trying to decide if I want to tell the story. Yeah. I transferred, uh, or actually I'm still in the process of finishing the transfer, uh, $25,000 to a mentor, loved one, elder, friend. Um, She's in her 60s. And she does not have a safety net. Um, And I made this transfer because I was thinking. um, She also is an incredible dyke elder, lesbian feminist, like really has built the movement in such a beautiful way. Um, I transferred this money. And in my head, I was like, this, I want to be part of the care team as she ages. But I like, um, 
could be for care support. It could be, like, medical support. And she was like, I'm so grateful for this money. I'm going to build a deck on the north side of my house because that is where I'm going to spend my, my, the most time in the shade as I am aging. And it is a big project that I never could have done without an influx of cash. And I was like, a deck? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you're picturing this idea of, like, this fund that's somewhat retirement fund, care fund, the high cost of, of just aging in this country. Yeah. And for her, having that money was something, like, to her values were around, this is going to bring me comfort and joy. Yeah. No matter how this I age. I'm going to spend the majority of my days as I age. Huh. And I am now, like, so behind it. And the deck is so beautiful. Oh, have you visited the deck? The deck exists? <laughs> the deck is amazing. Um, when you first visited the deck, what was it like? Um, I had a private little tear <laughs> of joy. And I saw how there were a lot of us gathered on the deck and people who I really love. Did everyone gathered know you were the deck patron? I don't think so. That was it certainly wasn't like a deck blessing. Thanks, Nora, for the money. It's not a named deck with a plaque. <laughs> deck. So when you first started having this conversation with your mother and, and your parents, your family of origin, um, that you have this intention to share this wealth that you've inherited. What was the initial reaction? I want to give my mother tremendous credit and love. She has worked her entire life. She um, pulled so many all-nighters working to like provide for our family because we needed to, because this this money was only for emergencies. And she and she has worked incredibly hard to pass this along to me. And so it's been difficult for us to have the conversation that I will be redistributing some of it. Um, and what and I think that she's really come to meet me and been open to hearing about how to me this is the greatest way that I could honor my grandmother's and my great-grandmother's legacy and her legacy of hard work is to support the mostly women in my life um, and that I may not be passing a lot of cash on to her grandchildren, but I, I do really hope to pass to them a world where um, we've got each other's backs and that we have what we need and like we're, we're good. It really is part of the legacy that I'm trying to pass on. That's Nora Lachese, a member of Resource Generation. You can find out more about it at a link in our show notes. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. This episode was produced by Zoe Azule. The rest of our team is Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, Lindsay Foster Thomas, and Andrew Dunn. Special thanks to our former intern, Christian Reedy, for helping us out on this episode. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. And a reminder, make sure you sign up at the link in our show notes for my new newsletter. I want to make sure to stay in touch with you after our current arrangement ends with WNYC at the end of 2023. 
You can also find me on Instagram at Anna Seal Picks. That's P-I-C-S. And the show is at Death, Sex, Money. Thank you to Lane, Sharer, in Washington, D.C. for being a member of Death, Sex, and Money and supporting us with a monthly donation. We couldn't have done all of this without you, Lane, and all of our sustaining members. So thank you. And just in case you almost got that Vanessa Carlton song out of your head, here's a little more. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. If I could fall into the sky. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, so it was just funny. You know, he he had a terrible singing voice, so I just remember from that trip him. And by the end of the trip, we were both singing the song together. I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.